<laughs> Warner Brothers originally wanted John Travolta to do the voice of Dean and have Arnold Schwarzenegger do the voice of Kent Mansley. <laughs> that would have been really off. Yeah, yeah, that like, would not so have worked. Wrong. Huh. I read the short story that it's based on. Really? Yeah. Cool. It's It was like 20 pages. Wow, that's um, a lot shorter than I even was expecting. Yeah. Unless I didn't read the right one, but I think I did. <laughs> it's called The Iron Man. The Iron Man. It's a novel. It says it's 59 pages. So maybe I read a different version, but I'm pretty sure I read the, the Did you right read one. the version where there was like a dragon yeah. that he fights? Yeah. Yeah, okay, you read the right version. It was probably just like... Condensed or something, yeah. Yeah. Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. I'm Jason. Uh, you stay, I go, no follow. And I'll see you on the next one, buddy. <laughs> Alright, I guess I'm doing this one, yeah. This week we're doing The Iron Giant from 1999, our first animated film on the podcast. Yeah, and I was pretty pumped about this because I remember it like heavily from my childhood. And I didn't remember this. I remembered the... Parts of the ending, mm. uh, and I know I've watched it. I had to think back, and I, I remember one of my friends uh, really loved this movie growing up, so I definitely had seen it with him. Anyone but... who happened to have watched it when it came out loves it. It's just they completely butchered the marketing. Yeah, it's it's a sleeper hit. It came out to a lot of critical success with absolutely no viewership at yeah, the time, yeah. which is really fascinating to see a movie that that flops but through word of mouth grows uh yeah. to be something so culturally in, influential yeah um, and it only flopped because of the marketing like the yeah the decisions of warner brothers to not market this so like how many other movies are there there's not that many because this one actually like yeah built its own like thing it's it's a cult movie yeah, and yeah. and it very easily slots into a cult film um and i think the the tone of the film and the the art direction a lot of that really really ingrains itself into like becoming that cult classic yeah yeah, yeah it's the iron giant it's a simple concept a giant an iron giant <laughs> crashes down to earth and a young boy hogarth hughes befriends him it's set in 1957 Hogarth is just basically trying to keep the giant a secret from the townspeople and the military uh, while teaching the giant that it can be a good robot. Yeah, and not an evil gun. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's really important during the plot here to also set the tone of the film and mm. describe what the tone of the film is because in the opening sequence, as we see the the giant land on Earth, we see the Sputnik the Sputnik satellite yeah. moving around the earth. And that's the first man-made satellite to be sent to space. And that's, that's the mood that we're in is we're in 1957. It's the first, you know, 10 years of the cold war. Yeah. With the red scare is in full effect in, mm -hmm. in America. Yeah. And so that, that kind of mood is ever present throughout the film of what, these people are living through at that time in America. Yeah. And we're also a little bit in the 
America, F yeah, yeah. kind of mood as well, right? Yeah. Like we're the unbeatable, unstoppable like, king of the world right now. Like this is this is the full peak heart, of, like yeah. hardcore patriotism for the people. Yeah, yeah. And when you're looking at like how often this comes up, it's like w- one character's full like his whole personality is based around this basically and then you also catch glimpses of it in like the tv that hogarth is watching and there's like a little jingle on how to hide under your desk if the (laughs) russians are gonna nuke us (laughs) which which as an adult you watch that and you're like yeah that was never gonna work (laughs) no yeah but like that's it was just like a thing to give kids some kind of hope um, hope or something yeah yeah and that's actually something that i think the the movie sets up really well with that it feels like in the beginning it's going to be a lot of propaganda in the film yeah. um but i think the the message of the film really pivots away from that and just uses it to kind of get the message across so let's let's get into characters and people you may know our first and most important character is hogart hughes uh, he's a pretty intelligent kid. He's got a big imagination, loves animals, um, and he's always making new pet friends because he's also has a lot of problems at school. Yeah, it seems like it's... Well, at school, he was pushed ahead a year because he's smart enough to, mm-hmm. but then the older kids are kind of like bully him a little bit. And at home, like his mom is always working, so he's always trying to make the... Like, he always gets some kind of critter and tries to bring it home as a pet. Yeah. And that sets up his character really well and what his relationship's going to be like with the Iron Giant later. Yeah. Hogarth Hughes is played by Eli Marenthal. And that's not a household name, actually, surprisingly. And that's partially because he kind of quit acting um, in the last 10, 15 years or so. What he's also known for, however, which is. I had a really good laugh at this, is he's Stifler's brother in the American Pie series. Yeah, (laughs) that was kind of shocking when I read that. (laughs) Yeah, so I did some digging on what he's up to these days. He's now a director at the Back to Earth Company, which does guided adventures in San Francisco for teenagers. So yeah, just out, they go out in the outback, which is pretty cool. Interesting, Um, okay. Pretty cool experience. It was... Very expensive to get those guided tours, so you got to have a little bit of money down there to oh, do yeah. that. But I imagine <laughs> if you're playing living in the Bay Area, that you probably have enough money to be able to afford that for your kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the Iron Giant is the next character that I wanted to discuss. He's the giant metal man from outer space, as you said. We don't ever really find out necessarily what his motivations are for coming to earth or who sent him or anything like that it's like when he crashed down he forgot yeah and that's kind of explained as he he got some sort of bump on his head when he crashed landed yeah and that plays a part in the film as well that's really not what the point of the film is about though so i think they do a good job at kind of leaving a lot of that vague and it it never really feels like it matters either yeah yeah like it's still just like a discovery of who he is like Mm -hmm. the whole throughout the film. And we do kind of find out that he may have been made for destruction yeah, or at least protection. So it's, it's interesting to look at his motivations, like what they, cause it is exploring what he was created for 
and who he wants to be, everything mm-hmm. in between there. And that's a central theme of the film that we'll get into a little bit later. And that's Vin Diesel. Yes, played by Vin Diesel. Yeah, um, that was awesome. Did like, you know that going in? Because I, I, I did. Like I told Annabelle that it was Vin Diesel, and she's like, "Yeah, okay." Like, <laughs> and I was like, "I remember this from like way back that I I know it, it's him, but I had to check it mm-hmm. again." And we discussed Vin Diesel on a previous uh, episode, actually the last episode. Yeah. And so he's knowing bald. that, he's one of your favorite actors. Yeah, he is. Um, so I'm sure you are really excited about this. So obviously Vin Diesel is known for like the fi- the Fast and the Furious series, the Riddick series, which is a great... Uh, Ridiculous. Yeah. It's absolutely a great series. Yeah. It's, I wish it's, you did more. Yeah, it's really good. And then the Guardians of the Galaxy and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, obviously, uh, as well as Groot. I am Groot. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's the same character, just, well, it's different characters for sure, but he's such a good voice for that type of character. Yeah, I agree. He also, previous to this, had a supporting role in Saving Private Ryan, which is kind of what started uh, his his career. career. Yeah. Yeah, and gaining in popularity. I didn't, I didn't realize that. I couldn't remember him in there and then yeah. i looked up some uh screenshots yeah. of the film and i was like oh yeah he was there <laughs> yeah i i saw him after i rewatched that movie like five years ago after watching it previously and um i was like is that vin diesel because i was getting into all of his movies back then and yeah. yeah um yeah he's he's got a great career arc the way i i think i read about it or heard about it he was found just uh 18 or 19 and him and his friends were vandalizing like spray painting inside a theater that they Mm. broke into and somebody in the theater was like hey say say this and he said it with his like crazy ass voice and he's like i think i have a job for you (laughs) and then that's how he got into acting that's that's really cool it's there's a few big actors that have over the years kind of stumbled into roles uh similar to like harrison ford getting found by uh, steven spielberg so vin diesel is known for being a a really big geek so i'm sure he Mm -hmm. jumped at the chance to do some sort of sci-fi film like this yeah yeah especially early on and somewhat early on in his career Mm -hmm. yeah and it's with some other big actors Oh like, yeah, we've we haven't even gotten into some of the big actors yet. Like Hogarth Hughes, uh, actors a, a Hogarth. lot less know. Hogarth. Hogarth. Yeah. Oh man, I wrote oh, it down. Every- unless I'm completely wrong. <laughs> we should me figure listening. this out. I wrote it down as Hogarth. Uh yeah, oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's Hogarth. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Why Anyways. did I write that down as Hogarth? <laughs> did you spell it like yogurt? Hogarth. <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah, okay, let's get into the other big actors that are involved here. Annie Hughes. So Hogarth Hughes' mom is played by Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. Of all people. And I thought that voice maybe sounded familiar, but I was not expecting Jennifer Aniston here. That's a household name from Friends Alone. Yeah, especially Uh, in 1999. Oh, yeah, yeah. That... They could have marketed having her involved in this film, and that alone probably would have yeah. put seats in the theaters, probably. Yeah, 100%. Not seats in the theaters, because there are already seats there, but yeah. probably some butts in the Butts the in seats. the seats. Butts in the in seats. In the theaters, yeah. <laughs> uh, she's also well-known for We're the Millers, the film that popularized No Rag Rats, not yeah. even one. Yeah, And most recently did The Morning Show, which is an Apple... Very good. Yeah, TV exclusive. You yeah. watched it, at. Yeah, yeah. 
It's oh. it's an intense uh, ride, that hmm. one. Yeah, and so Annie Fuse is raising Hogarth as a single mom. She's busy at her job at the diner. She doesn't have a whole lot of time to be around Hogarth, but she's doing the best she can. So, And this is maybe our first... The first time that I want to bring up the connection to E.T. Yeah. Because the DNA of E.T. is runs very deep in this film. For sure. We could kind of draw that comparison to the mother in the E.T. films being a uh, single mom. We we don't really know what happened to Hogarth's father at all. No. I thought he turned into an iron giant. <laughs> no. Yeah, we don't know. But that's that's my first connection to E.T., and I'll, I'll be bringing that up later as well. Dean McCoppin. So Dean's the owner of the junkyard. He has the really hilarious scene with the squirrel at yeah. the beginning of the film. And you could kind of tell he's hungover yeah. and then uh, is introduced to this super excited and excitable uh, 10-year-old kid who's lost his pet squirrel. It ends up up his pants, and he... Uh, <laughs> Has to like pull down his pants in front of everybody. Yeah, yeah. it's great, great scene, <laughs> great intro. Yeah, the way that plays out is really fun. And later he finds Hogarth and the Iron Giant at night, which I probably don't want to describe any further than that yeah. for spoiler reasons. Dean McCoppin is played by Harry Connick Jr. And that name was really familiar to me, but I yeah. couldn't place where I knew that name from. He's actually a really famous jazz singer. Like he's He's been in quite a few movies. Yeah, they were slightly lesser known films. Um, Independence Day. That's I think, I think I remember looking or seeing his name when we wait. We didn't do an Independence Day episode. Did no, we, we have no. not done Independence no. Day. <laughs> okay, but I've I watched it recently then. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, he his most famous album is When My Heart Finds Christmas uh, from the early nineties. But his highest charting album is Only You from 2004. He was in P.S. I Love You. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. A jazz player in a in a romance. Yeah. I think he played a character that wasn't just like a singer, though. Yeah. So he's got some involvement in, in film as well. Yeah. Next, we have Kent Mansley, who is the first FBI agent to be sent to essentially dismiss whatever's going on as yeah. a hokey nothing burg. Yeah. Nothing burger. And he has very little faith in the townspeople. Yeah, he's he hears some kind of crazy story they have to investigate and uh he's the guy who sent he's like bored of this small town, doesn't believe anyone. Yeah, immediately bored with the small yeah. town, but yeah. also uh very aspirational looking to rise up in the U.S. intelligence and potentially political sphere, maybe even through the military at some point. He's played by Christopher McDonald. And this voice, I was like, the whole movie, I was like, I know this voice. Where does this voice come from? It's Shooter McGavin from Happy Gilmore. Yeah, yeah. Again, he's a face that, like, you see and you know him. Yeah. But he's not, like, a massive... Um, like household name really like by the name maybe for older people I don't know with Thelma and Louise yeah he's he had a great run the last 10 years he's actually made a lot of TV appearances so yeah I feel like that's where I've seen him yeah he played uh, Bob Bennett in American Crime Story and in the show Ballers he was the Dallas Cowboys owner yeah like 
quite early in the Ballers seasons, I think. Yeah. Yeah, his character and his portrayal is really great. He's <laughs> he's very unhinged throughout the film. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and just constantly hunting Hogarth and the giant. Yeah, and he's the one who's, like, super... Like, he fully believes in, like, the America versus the red commies and everything in that area. He's, like, very fear-driven. Yeah. I have a line from later. I don't usually have lines, but I have one line from later that I had a really good laugh at from him. Okay. So that's most of the characters of people you may know that you should kind of know going in. The film itself is directed by Brad Bird, and that's a name that didn't ring any bells at first, but he's, he's a very prolific animation director. So I actually wanted to read out his his filmography. We've got The Iron Giant, followed by The Incredibles, followed by Ratatouille, then Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, Tomorrowland, and The Incredibles 2. That's a pretty good run, especially mm. considering the animation films in there. Like The Incredibles is probably, I think, touches my top five animation films of all time. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's a great world, and they built it out so well, and all the characters. Yeah, like, I don't know how many times I've watched that growing up, but it's gotta be in the 20s. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, when they started remake or not remaking it, continuing the series, like, as we got older, yeah. like, it was a must-watch for most people who grew up at our, around our age. I've never seen The Incredibles 2, though. Really? No. Yeah. Oh, well, it's a must-watch. <laughs> oh, well, I should watch it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he also voiced, did some voice acting as well in a few of his films. He did the voice of Edna Mode in The Incredibles, which is hilarious. He did. No way. That's <laughs> yeah. hilarious. That's which some good a, acting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't read into how he got into that role, but uh, I'm sure maybe some smoking was involved. Yeah. <laughs> To get that voice the way it was. Yeah. And he was also just in, like, he so surrounded by all the Pixar films, like, all the mm-hmm. Cars movies, Toy Story. Yeah, he Incredibles, did have involvement in those. Inside Out. He's, like, he's on the senior creative team at Pixar, I guess. Yeah. For a lot of these. Very, very important director of probably a lot of millennial and Gen Z's childhoods. Yeah, yeah. So let's get into who this movie is for. My question to you is, is this a film for children, and and what age range do you think a kid's going to most absorb this at? Um, I think it is a great film for kids. Um, what age? I would say like 10. Like yeah. get, get them right um, around the same age as the character and let them see what kind of death is like. <laughs> It is a movie very it's, much about death. Yeah, um, like the concept of it. We don't see too much. It's like there's some sacrifice and things like that, but it's not like super heavy, but it is it nails it at the right moments and really helps the Iron Giant to understand what death is, which like a kid would they would understand and like it's a good outlet for that, I think. Yeah, for sure. I think you nailed it with around the age of 10 was where I'd maybe show this to my kids. I think this is something that you get through the all of the Disney classics, you get through some of the DreamWorks classics and some of the other animation studios, and this is kind of a little bit more advanced film beyond a lot of those. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not 
just like uh, Finding Nemo or something. It's a little bit farther. Yeah, it's a little bit more involving. You have to kind of understand not necessarily what 1957 was like, but you have to understand a little bit of history. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and yeah, like you said, it delves into some dark concepts like death. Some of the scenes later in the film, I went, wow, that was that was really intense. dark. Yeah, yeah that was yeah. intense. Like, yeah. I, I don't think I could show a younger kid this. I kind of wondered, I thought, I bounced this idea around as well, if this is a better watch as an adult. I think anyone who grew up in the 50s is going to really love this. Yeah. Uh, as well as probably the 60s and 70s too. So I think this is a film that you show to your kids, but maybe you secretly enjoyed a little bit more or understood a little bit more than they did. Yes. Like, especially when it came out, like the people who were watching it as adults, then they had some experience. They definitely like almost for sure had some experience with that, um, environment, but yeah. And I, I think just as a millennial, like this is a classic for whoever happened to see it, when it came out mm-hmm. and like however it got passed around and turned into a cult classic it's perfect 1999 i feel like yeah and it doesn't have the cgi elements because it is an animation so it's a film that doesn't become dated by yeah. the that time frame that it came out in i always enjoy films that take a look back at the past because mm-hmm. they also when done right they don't date themselves in the time that they are made as well yeah yeah exactly i think that if you're a fan of sci-fi films or even monster movies i think you could probably get some enjoyment out of this the iron giant is a very interesting character and there's definitely more that meets the eye there yeah um (laughs) so transformers reference yeah Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so i i think that as a fan of sci-fi, there's there's definitely something to be said about this film. Um, it would be a good way to get a kid into sci-fi, I think, too. Yes. Like, to introduce the idea. Yeah, because it's like, a little light on the sci-fi elements. Like yeah. we kind of discussed before, they don't really dive into the Iron Giant's backstory. Again, that's not the focus of the film. I so. think, so in the extended or director's cut or whatever, they added two scenes. Yep. One of them is the Iron Giant remembering being with a bunch of other ones and protecting a planet or attacking a planet or something like that. Oh, interesting. So so we could get into that a little bit, but it's already hinted at. Yeah. Which, yeah, like the, the majority of the heavy sci-fi stuff is just hinted at. Where it's such a good introduction to it, especially for a kid, might be just the idea of like having a your own robot mm-hmm. that's like 100 foot robot yeah. which is like what Hogarth gets to experience I think if your kids are big fans of the E.T. movie then they're going to enjoy this one as well and it has that similar dark elements to mm-hmm. it I think this would be less scary <laughs> this, this would is be probably a, less yeah, scary well, than E.T. there's, yeah. there's not really anything scary about this. I think any kid would watch this and see like, like he would be really in or they would be really into um, like the story. And if they don't get the death part, if it's not that like they might not get everything there, but it could introduce them to the idea for later. I don't know. Who's this for? We've covered a lot of people. Yeah. Kids, I, adults. Um, and it's pretty, pretty easily digestible film. Um, yeah. Yeah. You, it's a good Friday night. I think after a long week. Yeah, I, for me, um, I went to watch is actually Sunday uh, with a family. I think this is yeah, a, a yeah. Sunday afternoon, like late Sunday afternoon, early Sunday evening kind of film. 
Know what else? I would say it's a decent hungover movie. <laughs> really Speaking easy to, for experience. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Really easy to throw on and um, like it's enjoyable. You don't have to pay that much attention. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but if you do, it's enjoyable. So, yeah. Yeah. I think the, the opening act of the film really sets the tone of the film really well, but it might not necessarily draw you in immediately. I think for me, when I really started to get into the film was right around the time that Kent's, Kent Mansley shows up because that's when Hogarth is really starting to build a relationship with the Iron Giant. Yeah. And that's that for me was when I, I started to get interest in the film. Yeah. Before that, I was maybe a little bit too hyper-focused on the propaganda stuff and thinking yeah. like, is this movie just going to be about propaganda? Um, <laughs> but no, not at all. Yeah. Where to watch? Right now, you can stream this on Crave or Stars through Crave or Prime. It's also on Hoopla, which is something that I hadn't heard of previously, but it's actually a library database oh. that as long as you have a library card... And with the asterisks of you also need to have that library card in the jurisdiction that has this movie available to rent, then you can do it. So unfortunately for our area, it wasn't streaming on or wasn't available to rent. But if you lived, I believe, in the Toronto area, you actually Hmm. could get it. So Okay, cool. But yeah, it's kind of neat that you can rent movies to the library online. Yeah, uh, there's quite a few streaming platforms kind of that are linked with the libraries. One that we have um, is Canopy. So that's, Mm. I actually watched a lot of the Alone series. Oh, really? um, On Canopy, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, just library card. Honestly, libraries are an amazing resource for everything (laughs) that you wouldn't expect in, like, they have a lot of tech and, like, modern things yeah like 3d uh, printers yeah yeah like a lot of them are building up to be those kind of community centers so yeah shout out to libraries and librarians yeah jason's trying to earn points with uh, Justin <laughs> annabelle here and as always we find where these are streaming through uh just watch which is our go-to which we do not have a sponsorship for but yeah. both of us love it so much yeah that we like it, to talk i about honestly it. almost every like it's so hard to just find what movie like if you know what movie you want to watch and you don't know where to find it where else can you check like, no, 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 you, i don't know you you, you have google to go through worse. each yeah you <laughs> can't just google it because where like which location are like are you in canada are you in us are you in europe wherever you're watching from so you have to search through each platform and each platform is a little bit different and a little bit worse than the other <laughs> at different things so searching just sucks yeah so use just watch because it's awesome yes and someday hopefully we can work out a sponsorship deal that would be cool (laughs) so i think this is the time to cut it off and say we did our best to talk spoiler free this movie is definitely worth a watch i think we can both say yeah. that we'd slap a recommend on this one for Definitely. general audiences. Yeah. And this isn't like a super film buff type of movie, but it's it's like for everyone. Yeah, it's a it's, good watch. Yeah. So it's a nice mix up with some of our heavier theme like uh Yeah, the, it's movies. not an Oscar film, no, uh, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. This movie doesn't take itself too seriously either. Yeah, that's that's the point where we'll cut it off. If you've already watched the film and you want to dive into things a little bit deeper, now is the opportunity to do so. So, let's uh, let's dive into it. Spoiler full, full yes. of spoilers, full spoilers. Fill me full of spoilers. Full fat. 
Okay. Uh, <laughs> Do you have any spoilers? I don't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember watching the movie. Let's start with themes. The main central theme of the film is basically how the movie was pitched itself. Yes. And the way that Brad Bird pitched the film is what if a gun had a soul and didn't want to be a gun? And that's something that kind of gets brought up throughout the film is if you really dive into the meaning of that, it's who do you want to be as a person, basically? Like the gun element is there because the iron giant is some sort of weapon. Yeah. And because we don't know the backstory, we don't know if he is solely meant to be protection or if he is a... A offensive weapon. yeah, yeah. A, a offensive weapon that kind of plays a large role in the film of like hogarth trying to teach the iron giant like i don't know just how to be how to learn how to be more human i yeah, guess yeah. um and hogarth as well being kind of a troubled kid and having all of his problems at school is also kind of trying to figure himself out as well yeah like where you fit in a world when you don't understand exactly who you are yet Mm -hmm. yeah and and the people around you don't understand who you are who they are yet yeah yeah because you're a little different yeah yeah the other source of this film is a an actual short story um, yes. called The Iron Man. Who was that by? Ted something. Ted Hughes. Ted yeah, Ted oh. Hughes. So Howard or sorry, uh, Hogarth gets his name from this um short story as the the boy in uh the short story his name is Hogarth and then um he didn't have last name, so uh Ted Hughes they use Ted Hughes's last name as his last name for the movie. So there's quite a few um, comparisons to be made there because I read the story. Yeah. And um, it gets a little more crazy in the short story <laughs> yeah. than this. And I think they did a great job of like keeping it to what was essential for audiences to see. I th- like the the maybe the opening part of the film is pretty similar um in that the iron yeah. giant comes and he meets Hogarth but it sounds like things take a really drastic turn and it becomes yeah. like a a kaiju monster movie by the end a yeah. little bit or monster um, novel. They, yeah, something like that. Like it was like a mix of like they had it had like the ideas that were kind of from it's almost like a Lord of the Rings meets space by the end of the um so basically the Iron Man he befriends the boy and they bring him to the scrapyard to eat their junk metal mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden a giant space lizard who's the size of Australia crashes down on Australia yeah he's, he's quite like he's way too massive people are watching this space dragon fly towards the earth for like days before <laughs> it shows up it's like this re- burning thing in the sky mm-hmm. but then it turns into a dragon by the time it gets closer and um the dragon wants to eat only live things mm-hmm. um and he wants if humanity doesn't give him enough food he'll just start licking cities off the uh globe <laughs> And, um, yeah, it's just completely insane and out of nowhere. What I really did like about the short story was how the Iron Giant actually showed up. Mm -hmm. He showed up, crashed into the sea, just like in the uh, movie. But then, um, 
he like some point got on top of a mountain and he fell down the mountain um and all his like he broke apart all his limbs were mm, like we see scattered. later in the film yeah and they were scattered all over and uh what i liked more just like a tiny little thing was that only his hands really worked separately than the rest of his body oh okay um so his hand like his one hand went and found an eye and then it explains like how it carried the eye underneath its middle finger and it would look through the pointer and thumb finger and then it was crawling around for like a few days until it found another piece and then it like collected itself back together so they did the same like a similar thing except each part of the or the iron giant has like a homing device and it can wiggle its way back towards the iron giant when it breaks yeah and i wonder if that's actually a sign of the times uh yeah. of when the original novella was written and when the movie came out because it looks like the iron man came out in 1968 whereas the film itself came out in 1999 yeah. and i imagine that maybe that level of of sci-fi hadn't been really yeah. explored yet yeah um, like it was at the cusp of it yeah like that self-assembly idea yeah yeah because but i i loved the like reading the way the hand carried and then <laughs> like it met up with another hand and then they found another eye so that the, they had two eyes each carried in a hand and then they found a leg and it explained like how it was like perched on top of the leg is as if it was like its own little alien robot until it found the rest. Interesting. It's a nice little read. And then at the end where I was saying it's kind of similar to Lord of the Rings-esque is where um the Iron Man in the book has to like outwit the giant lizard. He basically tricks him to go into the sun. Oh, know, okay. Through like kind of riddles or something like that. So that's where the source material came from, and they did a great job in cutting that craziness out and just <laughs> focusing on like the human element. Yeah, it was overall, it was nice to read and see. I guess the the other part of the Iron Man and maybe the connection there and why it's now called the Iron Giant is because they didn't want to have this film obviously connected to Iron, Iron Man, Man yeah, from Marvel, yeah. so they just changed that slightly. I think Iron Giant sounds better as well has kind yeah. of a nice ring to it yeah yeah because the iron man could be any size <laughs> right this is true yeah. this is true oh and also in the book the iron man he had like different metals that tasted better to him and that he hadn't experienced huh. yet so like he really liked certain ovens with um because they had some chrome on them or something like that <laughs> and like but you get to see that kind of the way the iron giant eats certain things he like he like at one point like pulls everything off kind of like a skewer yeah and then he eats the skewer yeah effects and filming this is our our first animation film and it was actually a warner brothers animation film so it has a pretty different style to disney or dreamworks that uh you might be visually used to seeing I guess the origins of this visual style uh, come from the movie Quest for Camelot. It's largely the same team that yeah. worked on that. That's a movie that I have absolutely no memory of. It failed horribly, I Yeah, thought. it did and fail that's, horribly. that's why they didn't want to put any marketing, or like barely any marketing, into the Iron Giant. Right. So because of a previous movie's failure, they were like, no, let's not 
hyped this up because it might be just as bad. That's it's wild that that was really the only piece that hurt this movie is in the decision yeah. of how they were going to market it. Yeah, like they just yeah. didn't care. <laughs> yeah. And actually, this is something that I was reading about this morning is that the reason why the film actually even became relevant later is in its syndication on TV. It became okay. a really important film uh, for. First, it was a July 4th film, probably connected to Independence Day, right? Yeah, yeah. Being the children's Independence Day. Yeah. But then later, it became a really popular film during Thanksgiving in the U.S. Interesting. Yeah. So it apparently plays every Thanksgiving, The Iron Giant. I don't, I don't know why. Uh, huh. I guess being thankful. It's, it's for... one of those cult things. Like, yeah. you have to watch certain movies at certain times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I definitely have a few films like that where i just i just happen to watch Mm. it at certain times of the year know what i kind of want to say the animation is it's like it's almost like 101 dalmatians Mm -hmm. and they were influenced by 101 dalmatians yeah like the the color palette is kind of this like the the feel of it is kind of there but then it's also like halfway between that and like modern things like finding nemo Mm -hmm. like it's right in between there the posters are phenomenal. The posters are fantastic. I would put the Iron Giant poster up in a heartbeat. Yeah, it is, yeah. It is so visually creative. Um, yeah. It just, it almost is like a throwback to like a 50s style yeah. comic book or sci-fi film. It's great. I I love the poster. If you haven't seen it, Google it. it it's really visually stunning. Yeah, and just the, the construction of the um, Iron Giant like it's so it's unique but it's all it just like hints back at like old school robots yeah like a bunch of um like the rock'em sock'em robots almost Mm -hmm. and when he transforms yeah the gun as well there's a lot of references even within the guns like very specifically i would say war of the world's had some influence there like yeah the the tentacles tentacles stuff yeah i kind of wonder if the the giant like massive gun in the middle had some influence by independence day because that's a little bit similar to the guns that the aliens used yeah, that yeah. they were shooting down yeah um, it's like the underside of uh um ship yeah kind of that kind of yeah for me the animation style it immediately there's there's two movies that kind of came up in my brain while we were watching yeah and that was anastasia yes uh, okay yeah which is 20 20th century fox so different studio yeah and Eight Crazy Nights, the Adam Sandler movie. Okay, yeah, I see, like, similar. Yeah. Somewhere in between those two again, yeah. Yeah, and so I, I did some digging, and Eight Crazy Nights did have the same studio involved in some oh, of the innovation there, okay. so I was right. That's cool, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Atlantis is also similar. Yeah, yeah, and Titan A. I or AE? AE. Yeah, yeah, Titan yeah. AE, which is a film that you've talked about a few times. Yeah, it was one that I loved as a kid, but yeah. I, I don't know if it holds up. Yeah, same studio, though. Seen it. So, okay, cool. Yeah, wait, that's something that we'll have to watch at some point as well. Maybe next year's animated film. Maybe. In the opening kind of uh, credits, we see Pete Townsend's name come came up. And that's a name that... As, as someone who listens to the music that I listened to was vaguely familiar in my head, and I went, I, I think I know who that is. Yeah. And that is the singer of The Who. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I couldn't place the name, but as soon as you said it, I didn't notice it, but yeah. 
Yeah, so Townsend actually, years before this, started to adapt the Iron Man as a musical. Oh, uh, okay. Huh. Yeah, so he he composed the songs from it. Some of the songs you can actually listen to, they were released. There's A Friend is a Friend and I Won't Run Anymore, as well as Fire. So if you look up any of those songs, as well as Dig, it looks like, hmm. you can listen to some of those. So they had a stage version that they were going to create and because this was it was just like a musical like album that they released that yeah. was that you just go and see kind of thing. Yeah. Um so they were going to actually do a stage version in 1993 and then Warner Brothers decided to buy the rights to the story basically. Okay. Um but the end result is very different from both the book and the musical hmm. brad bird decided to go in a, a very different direction yeah so yeah that's cool the the songs are so relevant to the the short story yeah because the uh townspeople they're actually they're mostly all farmers in the book they dig a really deep hole and first they put like a tractor a nice shiny tractor on top of this hole that they've covered up so that he'll fall through. Oh, yeah. But then uh, the robot doesn't come, or the man doesn't come back. And then eventually uh, Hogarth tricks him into falling into the hole Hmm. because the farmer needed his truck tractor back. But yeah, so he tricks him into falling into the hole and he felt really guilty about it. And then they filled in the hole. (laughs) And so he was stuck under there for like a a good three years, I I feel like, to the point where people were... People didn't really remember that, like why he was just down there. That happened, yeah. But there was a big hill there, and people go there to picnic. And then there's a family that's having a picnic, and then they hear some rumbling, and um, he comes out of the ground, like, and he has their picnic still on his head. <laughs> so like some of the some of the humorous um, scenes are still like make it into. This is a funny movie. Yeah, it's it's got some really great comedy. I one of my favorite scenes is when. Dean gets Hogarth all hopped up on caffeine. Yeah, yeah. And he's explaining all his troubles. Yeah, yeah. That was a very classic scene. I really like, too, when um, the Iron Giant holds a car and then um, Hogarth sits in the car and he just spins right. him around. <laughs> he's like, like, Dean's trying to get him to create art. And then yeah. Hogarth's like, what are you doing? Like, why are you wasting his talents? And then yeah. we get that <laughs> crazy scene with the, the car spinning yeah. around. Like he's in a spaceship. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's like way more important yeah, than making Hogarth, art. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other, I guess the only other piece going back to the musical that I did want to mention is that it looks like there was a role for the space dragon in there. So Hmm. definitely a lot more similar to the source material and the music itself, I don't think made it into the film. I think that, and I think Pete Townsend was maybe a a little irritated by that, but uh, at the end of the day, they took a very different direction anyway. So it probably wouldn't have fit. Yeah. And on that note, I think that's a good point to segue into score. I don't actually have too much more to add other than, Pete Townsend's involvement. However, this was scored by Michael Kamen, is a pretty relevant composer. He scored the Die Hard series, mm. Lethal Weapon, wow. the, the Lethal Weapon series, uh, the original X-Men movie, as well as Band of Brothers, which is a, an extraordinarily famous and popular TV show. Yeah. Huh. 
and so he was looking for like an old school Eastern European orchestral sound, which I, I interesting. Think, yeah, which is a little bit different from maybe the the patriotism that we've talked yeah, about in the yeah. film, but. I think the the music choice actually does do a good job here. It's yeah. not overpowering at any point in time, but it does do a good job in setting the mood. I think that if you made this film taking place in the Soviet Union versus the US, I think it would I think because of the music and maybe even the art style a little bit, it it would fit there as well. Yeah, I could see that. Um so you've already you've already brought up the movie poster, but in uh, look back at the times. I think with this film, you have to look at the inspirations that this film is clearly bringing to the the forefront. Like you can you can see what Brad Bird was inspired by and what he wanted to pay homage to um, in the film. And E.T.'s absolutely number one. Yeah, yeah. The final closing scene where we get the one of the most famous lines of the film, which I actually I knew this line and I didn't realize that it had come from the Iron yeah, Giant. Yeah. Where the Iron Giant says, You stay, I go, no follow. Yeah. That really gave me heavy E. T. vibes where he's like, Stay, go and yeah, that, yeah. that kind of final discussion between Elliot and yeah. E.T. And it's like the weight of how much is said in so few of words and Vin Diesel obviously crushed that the same way yes. he did like when Groot was finally like we are Groot. <laughs> yeah. There's like, something to be said about his timing on yeah, some of yeah. those lines. And like there's so like there's so much weight behind how he says it. Yeah, the delivery. Yeah, just it's phenomenal <laughs> yeah other films that you can draw a lot of comparison to is king kong for kind of the the again the kaiju monster movie elements the war of the worlds like we talked about bambi because we get the scene with the deer, the deer uh, yeah, yeah and and getting shot by the hunters as well as superman which is very important to hogarth at the time and to iron man because it's, yeah like that's kind of how he teaches him that he could be Galactica or whatever the bad... Um, Otomo. Otomo, yeah. Mm-hmm. He could be like that and be a destructive robot, but he could also just be Superman. Yeah. And he gets to decide that. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of callbacks to Superman and the way that he flies. Yeah. And even at the very end of the film where the Iron Giant's going up to stop the nuke. Yeah. And... And Hogarth, he hears in the back of his mind, like Hogarth saying, you can be whatever you want to be. And he yeah. says, I am Superman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is really great. And then at the very end, when he wakes up and his like head is in the snow, mm-hmm. it's like the snow castle or whatever Superman has. What's that place called? Oh, I don't know. My Superman lore is oh, enough. <laughs> he, I know what you're talking about, but yeah. very vaguely. Oh, I, I know the name. I just can't remember it. Anyways, so yeah, there's that. Also, like some Frankenstein, like he's kind of like a yeah. Frankensteinish character. Frankenstein's, Frankenstein's monster. monster. Yes. <laughs> Let's be tactical ref- about it. I was referencing the <laughs> Frankenstein movie as it's called Frankenstein. Anyways, <laughs> for me, I think you can even maybe compare this to Star Wars in the Matrix, not in terms of inspirations, but I think you can compare them in the sense that you can really feel and see the connections from the films that came before it mm. and how that inspired those films and influenced them and how those films ended up becoming the top of of their game because 
Star Wars is one of the greatest pieces of sci-fi ever, as well as The Matrix and, and its own mix-up of genres. The Iron Giant is the 23rd highest rated animation film of all time. Deserves it. And I believe... No, it doesn't make the top 250 of all movies, but probably just outside of that, I would yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's I think it's a pretty important film for maybe not necessarily the monster movie genre or or animation films or even kids films, but I think if you're a kid and you watch this film, this is something that you go back and you watch like a King Kong or E.T. or yeah. Superman or any of those, and they maybe this starts to build up a, a love for sci-fi, like you kind of alluded to before. Yeah, yeah. How excited Hogarth gets about having uh, like his own robot, and like how he tries to tell kids at school and like that it's a robot or something like that or or an iron giant. I don't know if he does. He call it a robot. I I think he does. I think it, he does like, call it a robot. Like he calls it like good robot or something or like I have my own robot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> just like how excited he is i could see that being infectious for kids and like maybe that's why i love um sci-fi because yeah. i watched this like probably in 1999 let's talk legacy and this i i i held my tongue a little bit when you we were talking about vince diesel's other film roles because i knew that the iron giant was a, a very critically acclaimed film it did it has a very high rating on IMDb. Mm. So I actually did a little digging into Vin Diesel's highest rated films. So Saving Private Ryan is his first, which I don't think is his movie. Like, no, he, like he just has an appearance in it and he does a good job in it. But that's that's very much a Tom Hanks movie. Yeah. We go Saving Private Ryan and then we go his portrayals of Groot in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And then we get the Iron Giant right after that. Yeah. So, in a way, The Iron Giant is Vin Diesel's, like, first stab at creating his peak performance role in Groot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Vin Diesel has a maybe a really good general appeal to audiences. Like, the films he makes out aren't always critical darlings, but they're yeah. films that people Enjoy. really love. Yeah, like, really, yeah, really yeah, love. Yeah. Do you remember his movie Triple X? Yeah, I do I actually. That. I really enjoyed Triple X. Yeah. yeah, that was a great movie. And then they did a second one, and it was not great. Yeah, I think who was it in it? Was, <laughs> was it, it Ice, Ice Cube? Cube? Yeah. yeah. That was when <laughs> so he was starting time. to get into um, shit movies. <laughs> yeah, though those were the movies that were on like MTV yeah. uh, and much music when we were kids. Yeah. And so we watched them probably way too much. Like I don't know how many times I've seen The Fast and the Furious two. Um, yeah, I loved number one and number two. The rest, they're okay movies. Yeah. It's like, it's they have built something where you, you like, want to have a corona with the family. But, um... It's weird how that franchise grew and evolved. Because yeah. it, it never... I guess we were young, so maybe it just didn't feel like a franchise at the time. But it really isn't until, like... But it was like, kind of at the beginning of those types of franchises being a thing. Yeah, it's probably a, a leader in, yeah. in that genre and it almost failed because of number two was so different and they're like where's vin diesel like yeah (laughs) (laughs) this isn't this isn't right 
Yeah, because it yeah itself itself is kind of a spinoff. That's a weird franchise because I I wouldn't say it becomes a franchise until like the fourth or fifth movie. Yeah, yeah. They're all just kind of loosely connected films. Yeah, I think Too Fast, Too Furious is, is like they they brought it back, but was Vin Diesel even in that one? Yeah, he was. He was in all of them, I think, except for Tokyo Drift in the second one. Was he in Tokyo Drift? I don't think he was. No. No, so, nobody think, was except like I guess some characters from that come back, but th- yeah, no one else was. Yeah. Anyway, the yeah. the Iron film, Giant, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the and the movie itself is referenced countless times in the future. Yeah. Like the most recent references are in Ready Player One and Space Jam. Yes. Um, yes. I I when I saw the um the one in Ready Player One, I'm pretty sure they do have a, a full like the Iron Giant. Yeah come out in that yeah yeah steven spielberg they're paying tribute to the iron giant and definitely in the same sort of genres that steven spielberg would put out so i'm sure he ate this one up when it came out (laughs) yeah yeah oh uh so the army the army cars passing um and the like that was referenced in super eight but um Mm. like that's kind of like a classic scene that they they set up a very good shot of, and that shot, I think, has been used before. Let's get into our personal reviews in the Parker Factor. All right. Jess enjoyed this movie, but she was partially distracted, I would say, especially in the first act, while we're just kind of building the world and the characters. But by the end of the movie, she was fully invested. Um, she, I think she really enjoyed it, and she said so afterwards. For me, I enjoyed this film. It wouldn't go into my favorite film list. Probably also doesn't quite fit into my top 10 or top 20 favorite children's movies either. So you and I might have a little bit of different experiences there. And and maybe that's because I just don't remember it very well as yeah, a kid. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't bring back that nostalgia factor for me. But I'm not saying that this isn't a great film that you should watch because I, I totally think that there's a niche for this and it, while also having pretty widespread appeal. I think where the film succeeds is in the relationships between each of the characters and the really great heartfelt moments that we get throughout the film. And yeah, that's exactly where it is so nostalgic, I think, for Mm. anyone who had watched it and like remembered it early. So yeah, like very similar review, except it probably is in my top, like it's definitely in top 10 of like animated kids movies, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's not like it's not my favorite movie of all time. Yeah, it's very good, and it brings back good feelings and memories and nostalgia and everything. So it's it's definitely a good rewatch for me. Annabelle missed the third act. Really? She was uh, she was really into it, but that, like she had to cook or like there was some things we had to do. But um, but when she came back, it, like she heard the the like intensity of the line when um the iron giant was like you stay i go no following she's like are you crying <laughs> like she called that like <laughs> i was like no <laughs> but i was <laughs> yeah it, i think my mouth was kind of hanging open at that point and i was just sitting there like wow like this is this is taking quite a turn yeah. this is pretty dark stuff yeah and at the end of the movie, we do see the Iron Giant put himself back together yeah, again, yeah. which I guess I probably should have remembered, although being nuked is probably not great on metal. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, <laughs> But I think that was something that Brad Bird 
ended up deciding to do just because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a kid's movie, right? Yeah. And it was too logical for the Iron Man to shoot the fucking missile. (laughs) Why? I don't know. He could have just shot it and went down. For defense, yeah, yeah, but he he's I'm not a gun, I guess. Yeah, but you're a you're a martyr now, <laughs> like. But well, he he might have like assumed that he would come back together. Yeah, I guess I guess what happens though is if he just shoots the nuke down, like do the does the army just shoot like ten more nukes at him? Like I I guess no, I don't think so because at that point he had proven to the general that um he was just like a self defense thing and that he was like he he was a good giant yeah but the difference between the general standing there and talking to the townspeople and <laughs> the rest of the world <laughs> How hilarious is that when he's like to kent mansley he's like the bomb is targeted at the iron giant and he's like yes and he's like where is the iron giant <laughs> yeah, right now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like i don't want to die and then like he's like screw America, I don't want to die. Yeah. Or screw our country. Yeah. Yeah. He's because the general's like you, you're gonna die for your country now. Yeah. And, and he hops in the tries yeah. to steal the car, and the iron just goes whop. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> um. Great. Great ending. In the short story, mm-hmm. the Iron Man's metal gets like shinier and stronger when it's eating better quality or like more metal and better quality metals Mm -hmm. so maybe there's a thing where like if he like he kind of ingests like the nuclear metal and he becomes like a super iron giant yeah when he gets put back together he might be like imbued with nuclear stuff i i can't specifically recall what it would be but i'm i think that there's a movie somewhere where they they nuke the monster and then it gets bigger because of the nuke. yeah yeah. i can't maybe that's godzilla well it was kind of like that in uh the fifth element yeah that's true and it gets bigger yeah yeah i really liked how they built kent mansley's character because i didn't outright think that his character was evil necessarily at the beginning. I thought he was kind of an ass. Yeah. An Um, ass self-serving. Yeah, exactly. But the way his character, self-important, sorry. Yeah. Self-important is a good, a good term, but the way that they frame his character over the course of the film and he just devolves into more and more paranoid, if is probably the right word. And some of the interactions that he has with Hogarth (laughs) <laughs> like when when he's Hogarth's in the washroom trying to push the hand out and yeah, then they yeah. open the door and he's like sitting there like pretending he's pooping yeah <laughs> it's pretty funny yeah like there's that whole scene of him trying to hide the hand what he, from what, the family or from his mom and Mansley when he does the uh uh what's it called the prayer before dinner yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That is so awesome. Yeah, yeah, that was great. <laughs> because, yeah, he sees the hand come in, and he's like, oh, my God. And then he turns that into the prayer, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And actually, like, the way the hand was moving, it was, like, kind of like it was a little dog, the way it was acting. I liked the um that, and it was very similar to the short story. Yeah. One of my favorite lines, and this is, and it's kind of because of uh, where you and I are, are located out of here, um, that Jess and I laughed really hard at. It's when Kent Mansley and Hogarth are kind of having 
the discussion at the diner. They're talking about uh, the dark side of progress um, yeah. and Sputnik. And then <laughs> Kent Mansley says, I don't feel safe, Hogarth, do you? And Hogarth's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and Kent goes, what am I talking about? And then he says, I'm talking about your goddamn security, Hogarth. While you're snoozing in your uh, whittle jammies back in Washington, we're wide awake and worried. Why? Because everyone wants what we have, Hogarth. Everyone. You think this metal man is fun, but who built it? The Russians? The Chinese? The Martians? Canadians? <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> yeah. uh, I like the uh, the reference to the Canadians. Yeah, there. yeah. I mean, that, was, laugh. that was pretty fun. You could see that he's kind of devolving and getting like because unhinged. Yeah, unhinged because he's been waiting and trying to pry this information out of Hogarth mm-hmm. for so long. He knows there's an Iron Giant. Yeah, but where is it? He's it's been brewing in his head like who built it. Yeah, and he he also sees this as his path to glory, yeah. and he he needs this for the army to roll in and him to be the the hero of the day. Yeah, him when he realized the rifle, the like BB gun rifle was it said hog hug. Yeah, and he's like hog hug, hog hug. <laughs> that was like a good little scene. Yeah, Christopher McDonald has a has a really great role here. Kent Mansley's probably my favorite character yeah. of the film. That's um, right. Yeah, he's Hogarth's, the most developed Hogarth's, besides Hogarth. Really. Yeah, Hogarth's really great as well. But Kent's just unhinged in all the right ways for yeah. me. <laughs> uh, know what I really liked? This is a small thing. When the Iron Giant just squatted down super quick on like over top of Hogarth. Mm, it was yep. just like a super quick thing, but it was just like scary and amazing to Hogarth, like how quickly this massive thing just moved towards him. And it was just like a regular squat. And I was actually thinking it's kind of like a Russian like Slav squat. Yeah, a little bit. And, and then I was like, is he, well, I already, already kind of knew, but. It's the speed at which he moves too yeah, that yeah. is kind of a little bit unnerving because yeah. you don't picture something that large to move as quick as he does. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, and like when we're introduced to Kent Mansley, he's like, um, "Big things happen in big places, Marv," and he's like, "We're in a like, are we in a big place?" Because they were, he's out in the back country, like Rockwell is like a tiny town. Mm-hmm. He d- he doesn't want to be there. That was a good introduction of him and his his um like cockiness. He f- he chloroformed a, a boy. <laughs> I yeah. wrote that down too. Yeah. Like that's yeah. kind of out there. That's not something you see in kids movies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was that was something else. Yeah. What I was going to say before is the moment when we realize that the Iron Giant can fly is another E.T. reference, like, for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was great. (laughs) That's another callback to that. That's where, I guess, what I was maybe going to say earlier is that, for me, E.T. has the nostalgia factor that this has for me. Yeah, yeah. For Um, me, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) E.T. for you, you, this for me, kind of. Yeah, Yeah, I figured it out. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And uh, how they pulled off that the Iron Giant was just an art installation for like a <laughs> that good was little genius. bit. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea how they were going to play that off. Yeah, I thought they were just going to hide him. And like, I thought he was just going to have a, a small sculpture, but then they played him off as the sculpture. Yeah, and which was really smart because then even at that point, like Kent Mansley can't argue because, yeah, there's a picture of them. But yeah, you yeah. can't say like, a, like, oh, it's not 
just a picture that Hogarth took. Like, yeah, and and the army as soon as the army sees that is gonna be like, this idiot has like just gone crazy. For this, yeah, yeah, for yeah. this kid's like Bullshit. fantasy yeah. world, basically. Kent threatens um, Hogarth with, uh, "We'll make life miserable for your mother," and all that that implies yeah. or something like that. And then at the end, Hogarth is like, bye Kent. And all that, that implies. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I caught that one. Oh, the, the only other part that I wanted to just quickly mention is the reference to Rockwell, obviously referencing Roswell, New Mexico. Yeah. 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 I like how it's set up in Maine because it, you know, we could have this in some sort of crazy Stephen King world. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> if Stephen King wanted to write a short story that was adjacent to the that Iron Giant. Be, that would be phenomenal. That would be pretty wild, yeah. Because, like, yeah, Hogarth is a perfect name for a Stephen King character, too, I feel like. Yep. As a side note, when Kent Mansley is making fun of Hogarth's name, I really laughed at that. Because up until that point, I was like, what kind of a name is Hogarth? Hogarth like, why yeah, did they yeah. why did they land on that? Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think this is the maybe the only time that the name Hogarth has ever come up, ever. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, like it's such it might an not old even be a real name. name. I don't I, even know. Is it a, is it a real name? I think so. I, I'm. I feel like there's someone named like Hogarth Humphrey. Hogarth's the last name. Yeah, I think I think it's just the last name. I mean, if you're listening and your name is Hogarth, uh, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> and please let us know that you exist. If you, if you're about 22-ish right now, then it, it makes also, sense. Yeah, yeah, it would also explain your name. <laughs> the laxative gag. Yeah, that's probably yeah. the first time that they've done that in a kids' movie. Uh, I don't know, like 1999, maybe, but. It was popular around that time, I feel like. I f- yeah, I guess for a kid's movie, but Dumb and Dumber. They've, they've definitely done, like, laxative stuff in film before. Like, I'm not saying yeah, this yeah. is the first time, but, but this is probably one kids. of the first time it comes up for kids. <laughs> yeah. I, we get two kind of potty humor jokes in here with that and then uh, them opening the door on Hogarth. So, yeah, are, yeah. pretty great moments. Yeah, because he, he kept, like, you could tell he was just getting exhausted from it. Yeah. And, because he kept having to go. <laughs> that was so funny because it, yeah, it keeps getting brought up. Like he has to go to the bushes. Like he's he's investigating, and then you see the look on his face, kind of like crop up, like yeah, he's retired. Like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I looked up the list of laxatives as a comedic thing. One of the first ones is 1994's Dumb and Dumber. Really? Yeah. Wild. So Tur- this is they fairly used, new. They use Turbo Lax because. Yeah, it's almost all newer things. I don't know if there was one before this. That's wild. <laughs> or before 1999. That's one of those things that you kind of take for granted now because it just it comes up so often. Um, it's become, you know, where it's become a staple is in TV and yeah, like yeah. sitcoms. Like there's there's going to be an episode somewhere of somebody getting laxed or mixing up their medication with laxatives yeah i'm not gonna lie to you this is probably uh i wasn't expecting to have this much laxative conversation yeah this. yeah this is, this is quite a bit <laughs> um anything else that you want to talk about before we wrap her up no that's basically it it's like there's we could we could mention every single thing that made us chuckle but yeah that's yeah you, you gotta watch it for yourself i think at that point yeah and like overall the themes are great the um the art i i yeah, really the, enjoyed the artistic direction of the film yeah i think that's probably what makes it 
like after like the hard hitting emotional moments mm-hmm. and the comedy, it's the art like that. Those three made the movie. Yeah, I would very much agree. Like, I don't think Pixar style animation direction would have served the same purpose in this film. No, yeah. All right, cool. I think, uh, so this is coming out next week, uh, end of April. So heading into May, we're doing a director's month. So we're going to pick a director and watch a couple of his famous films. Or maybe director duo. There's a few director duos that I could that, be down for. Yeah, Coen that, Brothers. Yeah, uh, Coen Brothers would be... Yeah, that's a problem. There's so many great directors. Well, that's why we're doing this once a year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like we could only do this though. Like, I mean, we could just do directors. Oh yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. we could do we could pick every any. month a different director. We could pick. We could do animation films for a yeah. podcast, like old animation films, and it would probably last like. There's three too many years. movies, Blake. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is the problem. <laughs> yeah, they're so good, and I love every single movie. Annabelle, <laughs> Annabelle hates how much I love every movie I've ever seen. <laughs> I I can have very lukewarm receptions for movies and and it's a lot mood i think for me i gotta be in the right mood for the movie i'm watching for me if a movie can like get me into it in any sense really i love it yeah that's fair like that's it's kind of a low bar for like if they can just get me into their world Mm -hmm. then and keep me there then it's probably good and i can appreciate so many things about it if you can't get me in then that's it yeah like those are bad movies overall but yeah there's not many that don't get me in (laughs) uh yeah i don't know i can't think of the last movie that i watched that was outright bad like i watched rain of fire uh last week i don't know rain of fire rain of fire you ever heard of it rain rain like r-e-a-r-e-i-n or r-a-i-n the first one like king, like rain, yeah. a king reigns, yeah. rain of fire. Yeah. Okay. So I haven't seen it. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I don't recommend it, but yeah. it's, uh, Chris, uh, Christian Bale and, hmm. um, Matthew McConaughey. And one of Matthew McConaughey's early roles, it's early 2000s. Um, it's a post apocalyptic film. The, the set and the setting's really cool. The execution's not great. It's mm. about dragons, um, being awakened and burning the entire world down. And then overpopulating and eating everyone, um, with like a bunch of dragons. Yeah. Okay. So dragons have just completely taken over the world, huh. and the settings in the UK, and Christian Bale is kind of leading this small community out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. When Matthew McConaughey comes rolling in as the He's Americans. A oh, okay. <laughs> um, and they're they're on like a mission to destroy. Yeah, destroy the of dragons. Course. Um, because they think they figured out like where the source of the dragons are and how mm. they're populating. Hmm. Um, it, like I said, it's it's cool in the in the direction of the post-apocalyptic land, but yeah. the dragons often feel like an afterthought throughout. So okay. it's kind of yeah. it's kind of a weird movie. If you like both those actors, you you might be kind of interested in it. But other and again, it's it looks cool. It mm. looks cool throughout yeah. the film. It's just the dragon, the whole dragon thing didn't quite. Land. what year's the movie from i think 2003 okay so a little bit outside of our realm but it does feel like an old movie it yeah. feels like an old mad max movie yeah yeah all right well i think uh we could wrap her up here yeah it's a good episode uh, i'm looking forward to director's month i'm really looking forward to director's yeah month, it's actually. gonna be a hard choice but any of them that we pick will be fine so i guess yeah. it's not that hard of a choice there's, oh yeah there's so many top directors 